I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, we're talking about entrepreneurs who are completely changing the way we consume beauty products. I'm speaking with Jamie Jenkins, who is the co-founder and chief brand officer for beauty brand Everest. Along with her co-founder, Jessica Stevenson, Jamie was focused on creating a product with a reduced environmental impact, both in terms of product ingredients as well as packaging. The two launched Everest following a career spent at leading global beauty brands. Here is our conversation. Jamie, welcome to The Brand is Female. It's a pleasure having you on today. Thanks for making time. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I like to start these conversations by asking my guests to go back in time a little bit. And I'm curious to know, growing up, what did you dream that you'd be doing as a career later in life? And was it at all connected to what you're actually doing today? Was it something that was completely different? Uh, good question. Um, it's been so many different things. I think none of those things, though, I think was ever being a founder. That's something that came later. But I think from a very young age, I've always been very creative and also interested in you know helping in different ways um, and in the environment. So, you know, it's been many different things from I think my youngest memory was wanting to be an artist to wanting to work in advertising for kind of a social good business to wanting to be a vet at some point. Um, it's changed lots of times, but I guess by the time I was ready to go to university, I still wasn't any more sure what I wanted to do. So I ended up studying business with a focus on marketing because it was somewhere that I thought I could flex my creativity a little bit more. And tell me about um, what you decided to do after your studies. What was uh, kind of your first you know, the first uh, uh, part of your of your career journey and leading up to the creation of your brand, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. So I would say I had a pretty typical um, marketing kind of pattern, growth pattern through kind of the corporate world. So after I finished a business school, I was hired by Procter & Gamble to first start in a sales role with them and then come internal to do um, an internal marketing role. So I did that for a couple of years after school and kind of learned the ropes on, you know, marketing from, you know, some of the best and also sales, which was a great experience. It was pharmaceutical sales at the time. It was really a tough job, but I think everybody can learn a lot from, from doing sales. Um, at some point in their career. And then I had always wanted to get into beauty, always had a, a passion and an interest for it. So I ended up working, going from there to work for L'Oreal for about a decade. So I started at L'Oreal um, in the luxury division, doing marketing and brand management for um, some of the Lux brands like George Armani, YSL. And then uh, after a couple of years of that, I really wanted to get more of an international perspective and be more involved in product development. Um, so I moved to London, England, where I worked for a few years leading global product development um, in Bath and Body for the Body Shop. So that's where a lot of my product development experience comes from. 
Um, it was a great experience working in London and learning about, you know, all the different, you know, countries that the body shop is in, all the different regional preferences and texture preferences and scent preferences. And I've always been really just interested in trends and kind of trying to see what the future held for for beauty and different other categories. So, you know, that was a really fun role to kind of plan innovation a couple years out and, and kind of imagine what would be next. So I really love that role. And then after that, I wanted to come back to Canada to start a family here. Um, so I moved back with the Body Shop of Canada and, and did lead marketing there for a couple of years before um, I started Everest. So that was kind of the corporate, the corporate progression. And it was all wonderful experience. I think I was fortunate enough to work for some great companies and meet lots of, you know, wonderful people. Um, at the end of my career there, there was some maternity leaves as well. So I have a daughter now who's six and a son who's almost four. Ah, um, congratulations. Thank you. So towards kind of the end of that, I know I was really thinking about, you know, what's next. And again, always being really interested in what's, you know, the future holds, what's coming next. What does the world like really need? One of the things I had started observing for a couple of years was how quickly, you know, consumer demand, but also the need for, you know, sustainability to go even further and specifically around like the plastic waste crisis that was kind of impending. So around I think 2018, 2019, we started hearing more about, you know, all of the issues with single use plastic. And I think the beauty industry as a whole, you know, has a long way to go. And I think some of these big companies are making some amazing strides. Um, but we wanted to, you know, my partner and business partner, Jessica and I were talking, we're longtime friends and we thought, you know, something even more dramatic needed to happen. Something needed to, you know, happen quicker. And I think we really wanted to take it as an opportunity to see if we could come up with a solution ourselves or one of, you know, many solutions that could be, you know, where this industry needed to go and, and introduce something that was really different. But, you know, the idea of creating, you know, at the time, you know, the very first thoughts of Everest before we even had a name, before we, you know, really knew exactly where we were going to go in terms of product. It was just, you know, started from the question, which is, you know, what does the beauty industry need to look like in the future? Where does it need to go? How do you even do beauty without single-use plastic? It's almost, it's so difficult. It's almost impossible because everything is in plastic these days. And how could you build like a zero waste was the term we're using at the time. We don't use it as much now, but how do you create a zero waste beauty company? What could, how would you even do that? That was kind of our goal before Everest had a name. What does that look like? So we spent, you know, probably better part of a year, just like looking at different ideas. Is it a retail refillery? Is it a milkman model? We looked at different product formats. And I think for us, like we, at the end of the day, are beauty junkies. We love beauty. We love things that work. We love things that smell great. We love the sensorial experience of it. And we also, you know, are that modern customer who wants convenience. So a lot of these ideas we thought were great and many of them have come to fruition now, but we wanted to try to find something that we thought had that mainstream appeal and something that we would really be excited about using. So Long story short, there was lots of exploration before we even knew what the idea would be, but we were really clear on what we wanted to build. And then we kind of saw this trend emerging of waterless. And we saw it first in the home cleaning space where we saw, you know, some little brands popping up maybe five or six years ago that were selling concentrates that you mix at home with water to make your cleaning products for your house because you know, cleaning products like the like home, you know, window cleaner or something is mostly water and a little bit of active. So they were these brands that were doing kind of mix yourself versions. So 
that's kind of where the idea, the modern idea of Everest started. And we thought, you know, that's brilliant. It makes so much sense. Is there any way that you could do this in beauty? And, you know, beauty products themselves are also mostly water. And for us, we kind of zeroed in on the shower first because shampoos, conditioners, body washes are like 70, sometimes 80 or 90% water in single use plastic bottles. And then you use them in the shower, which for us like made no sense (laughs) um, to be shipping them around the world. So that's really where the first ideas of Everest came. And then, of course, we had lots of innovation after that to get to the right product format. Um, and to, you know, get that to market and to get our concept patented. But um, that's really kind of the journey we went on, starting with the problem and to figure out what's a solution that we were really excited about that felt like beauty and felt like something that would have that mainstream appeal to try to move the market in that direction. Mm. We're seeing a, a lot of emerging brands in, in beauty that are doing things differently, but also doing things on a on a smaller scale, because as, as you come from, you know, the corporate sector and we know the beauty industry is really controlled by a few large groups that own a multitude of brands uh, across categories within beauty. Um, how was it for you trying to, when you've had experience, you know, in, in a corporate role, but how was it trying to find the right suppliers and, um, you know, you, you were going after a formula that's pretty unique in the market as well. So what was it difficult kind of lining up, you know, who, would be part of your supply chain? And did you encounter any challenges when you were trying to set that up? Yes, it was incredibly difficult. (laughs) It probably took a year to get somebody that would agree to try and make this idea that we had. You know, it it didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. This idea of what we ended up launching is a waterless paste. So it almost looks like toothpaste, but it's a completely waterless formula that you squeeze out a little bit out of an aluminum tube and you activate it with the water you're already using in the shower and you have this beautiful sensorial, you know, premium shampoo, conditioner and body wash experience. That's like a, you know, salon shampoo, Um, but it took a long time to get that right. So we had this dream of making this and it didn't exist yet. So we had talked to, you know, we're not chemists. We knew we needed a cosmetic chemist to create it for us. So we ended up talking to probably a dozen different potential partners um, before we found one that, you know, still didn't think they could do it, but was, could see how excited we were about it and wanted to give it a try um, and was willing to kind of spend some time playing with the idea for us. So once we got that team on board, it still took probably like hundreds and hundreds of formulations to try to make, you know, this idea that we had in our head and get it to a level of performance that we were satisfied with. Mm. So it definitely wasn't easy. There was lots of you know, challenges along the way. We looked at two like different formats in the beginning before, you know, we had waterless and we looked at bars and powders and pods and sheets. And there's, you know, tons of innovation for all different form factors, I think coming out on waterless. But for us, you know, it was just experimentation and experimentation until we got to this paste format. And, you know, what we ended up doing is, is mixing, you know, with the, with the cosmetic chemist partner that we were working with, like a powder kind of shampoo formulation in a base of skincare ingredients. So the base of our formulas is aloe vera and glycerin. So what that does is it helps make them, you know, really gentle and give a lot of those great skincare benefits to the hair care and the body care. But it was like lots of different versions along the way that looked nothing like the final product before we ended up getting to the place that we felt comfortable bringing it to market. And uh, going back a little bit, you've, you know, you worked in the beauty industry for an extended period of time before launching. 
who were kind of sources of inspiration for you? Did you have role models? Were there women role models specifically that you looked up to and maybe individuals who were kind of key support when you decided to launch your brand? Good question. I think we have a lot of great contacts in beauty. Um, But in terms of like brands or individuals that we looked up to, I think it was really like founders who had done something really different in the space. So um, brands like, you know, Bite toothpaste tabs that were kind of a first to market innovation in toothpaste. Um, there's a lot of different innovation now, you know, in shower care and hair care that are doing new formulations and new form factors. So I think as much as, you know, I think we leaned on a lot of our network for more um, support in terms of, you know, marketing and, and launch support and a lot of the pieces that we knew from kind of our beauty backgrounds on the innovation side, you know, we were really trying to approach it from a different angle and and create something that hadn't existed before. So it really came down to just like a lot of grit, I think, and, and perseverance to keep trying different things until we found something that worked. This season of The Brennis Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. And you have a business partner who, you know, who's not in, in a conversation with, with us today, but uh, you're, you're, you decided to be co-founders and really uh, build this together. So tell me about the dynamics. It's always interesting. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs wonder if they should pursue an idea by themselves or if finding a partner is key. So what, what does the partnership bring to you and how do you approach kind of sharing work between the two of you? That's such a great question. So yes, Jessica is my part, my business partner. Um, sometimes I feel like she's my life partner. We spend so much time talking. A bit, a bit of both, yeah. A little bit of both, yeah. Um, she's wonderful. She just had a baby, so she's you know coming back from a little bit of an entrepreneur's mat leave, but you know never quite a break. When not, not completely you know, away. Exactly, but she's great. We're you know we're actually longtime friends. A lot of times, you know, people will say, "Don't go into business with friends." Yes, yeah. Like, you know, it could probably go either way, but I think we've been really fortunate. We know each other from from business school. She was in the beauty industry as well. And I think what makes our relationship work really well is we're very different in terms of our strengths, but we are very aligned in terms of the the vision we have for the company and our values. So it, mm-hmm. it you know, same as in a, any romantic relationships, I think as long as you can complement each other, but really on the big stuff, be on the same page, you know, it really makes it easy and have a clear definition of responsibility. So, you know, while I'm more creative on kind of the brand strategy and a lot of the product stuff, Jess is really a wonderful operator. She's very analytical. She's a wonderful kind of business strategist as well. So we work, you know, together on all of the key decisions and we try to divide and conquer when we can. But I think it's important for us that we have as much, you know, mutual alignment on the big pieces as we can. And I think for some people, you know, it depends on your personality. I think some people would do better, you know, independently and want Mm -hmm. to be, you know, that independent leader of their business. You know, for myself, it's been 
probably been like the game changer, I think, for me to have somebody that I really respect um, and feel really accountable to, to push through in some of the challenges. Because obviously, when you start your business, there's going to be a new challenge every day and lots of problems to overcome. So having somebody to discuss it with and having somebody to, you know, feel like I need to be there to, you know, deliver with um, has really helped us, helped me personally have that forward momentum. It's been a really big game changer for me. Mm, that's great to hear. Um, you have a unique brand proposition that's, you know, that's, that's pretty specific. So in terms of the, the packaging and, and the product itself, did you find it hard to have to educate consumers about, you know, why you're making the product that way, why it's different? And uh, do you find that there's been progress in just how, you know, consumers are approaching buying, you know, beauty that's a, that's a little bit more responsible since you first started? Totally. That's a great question. I think that's one of our biggest challenges with Everest is we have so much to say. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, we were the first ones to do waterless concentrate paste. We have a patent pending on it. Um, but waterless as it's on, on its own has really become a big trend in the beauty industry um, in the last little while. So there's starting to be more awareness of it and there's starting to be more um more ingredients that are waterless that, you know, we can use from our raw material suppliers, more opportunities for waterless products. But I think when we were starting on it, like three or four years ago, you know, it was more limited. No one had heard of it. I still think generally, like when we say waterless shampoo, a lot of people think it's a shower free product or like a dry shampoo. So there's still a lot of confusion around it. Actually, for that reason, we're, we're now leaning into calling our products concentrates. So we're doing a bit of a rebrand this fall, launching some new innovation, tweaking a couple things after we've, we've learned after our first year in market because we launched last spring. So making it even more clear and leaning into that concentrate name because I think that's a little bit easier for people to understand. You know, our products are three times concentrated and you activate them with water, um, but you still use them in the shower. So it's been, you know, a progression. And then also like there's a lot of benefits of waterless too, which I think we're just cracking the surface on. So right now I feel like we use up a lot of our real estate and our site and our, if we do an ad and the ad explaining what the product is because Mm -hmm. people haven't seen it before, but you know, there's so many other conversation points that we can go into. For example, the products are hundred ml. So they're travel friendly, they're TSA size, your full mm-hmm. bottle of, of shampoo, three to four months of shampoo, you know, fits into you your, bring your yeah. exactly. Or your gym bag. Another benefit is because water and cosmetic products is what causes bacteria to grow. The products can be safely free of added preservatives. Oh, yeah. So they're mm-hmm. super clean formulas as well. Like the cleanest, you know, of the clean and beautiful formulas that are filled with actives and skincare ingredients. So there's so many like stories stories to tell, but I feel like we need a lot of that time in the beginning to kind of explain what the product is because people haven't seen it before and how to use it and, and making sure we have as much education as we can to get over that learning curve. Um, but it's still kind of early. And I think just as we're starting to see more waterless and more understanding of concentrates and, um, and that kind of evolution happening in the market, I feel, you know, really, you know, happy with how that's developing. And I think people are really are looking for solutions that, you know, help them go more eco, but also fit with their lifestyle. And and it's beauty at the end of the day that work and give them that experience that they love um, without that compromise. So that's great. You know, I think was the key for us. What other changes would you like entrepreneurs who are in the same industry or in, you know, in the beauty space and and cosmetics in general, uh, what would you like to see happen in terms of changes so we can have beauty that's cleaner? And it feels like 
uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of uh, I don't know what we're calling it, greenwashing in this case. Yeah. It's, still, it's still greenwashing with brands that are using certain ingredients and promoting that as, you know, being cleaner. But then we look at the rest of the list, we know it's not a true clean beauty item and same with packaging. And I think we're not talking about packaging enough. Um, and we know that the idea of recycling uh, anything that that can be recycled is not always something that actually happens depending on you know where we live. So yeah. how do we tackle that and what would you like to see entrepreneurs doing more of in, in the near future? That's a, a good question. You're right. There's so much gray and there's also so many different ways to tackle this problem. There's like so many different problems. There's many yeah. different ways brands can approach it. So one of them is packaging, obviously moving away from single use plastics, which we know don't biodegrade. And then, you know, if they're biodegradable or compostable ones, depending on how they're formulated, can biodegrade into microplastics, which are, you know, a problem in their own right. Then there's ingredients, you know, what's going down our drains into our water systems, which ones linger in our systems. You know, there's a lot of forever chemicals that are used mm -hmm. in beauty products. Then another one is like sourcing. Like, are you, where do your ingredients come from? Like there's so many different ways I think brands can tackle it based on, you know, what is, feels natural for them or the easiest kind of first step for them. I think what happens sometimes is it's such a tricky, it's such a complex problem that people and brands sometimes feel unsure of where to start and, you know, afraid to be seen as a hypocrite because you are never going to be perfect. There is always going to be things you can do better and you're always going to be making, you know, some sacrifices or some trade-offs as you make these choices. So our philosophy with Everest um, for our customers as well and for ourselves as a brand is really about progress, not perfection. You know, we're not we're a brand for imperfect environmentalists. We say eco-optimists are, you know, are the Everest. Like that. That's yeah. who the brand is created for. So it's all about, you know, trying to do better and making those changes. And oftentimes I think, you know, people and brands can feel, you know, they feel like a hypocrite because they can't be perfect. And I think sometimes that stops people and companies and brands from even trying to take a step in the right direction. You know, if you still are going to, you know, order something from Amazon or get, you know, takeaway, why even care about, you know, this other thing. But I think that kind of all or nothing thinking leads to a lot of stagnation. And, you know, our goal as a brand is really to make it easier for the customer to have an option that fits with their values and also, you know, their performance goals and their lifestyle goals that they want from their beauty products. So, you know, it's, it's as much as there's, there is so much greenwashing out there as well. There's also so much opportunity, I think, for, yes. for brands to tackle it in their own way. And I think consumers are really great now at holding brands accountable and, and, you know, asking questions and brands are increasingly becoming more transparent, which is so great to see. Um, but I think really the key is, you know, starting somewhere and taking that first step and being open to feedback and listening and then continually evolving. And that's the part that's kind of exhausting, especially for us as a small brand. You know, we launched a year ago. We've changed a hundred and fifty things since we've launched and we're always changing and getting better. Cause as you know more, you learn more, you have to keep improving. And that's the part where it really, you know, is a lot of work for the brands to keep innovating, keep formulating, keep learning, keep adapting. But that's what to me is a real commitment to progress over perfection. It's continuing to grow and learn and to do better as you as you know better. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would encourage really other founders to do. But don't be afraid to start because you're gonna start. It's not gonna be perfect. Yeah, you know what I mean? Somewhere. With everything with your eco positioning, with the branding piece, with the product piece. And then you have to just be willing to put in the work to continually learn and innovate and improve. Otherwise, you know, you'll never start and those solutions will never be there and out in the world. So you really have mm. to go for it. 
so it's it's a year that you've launched and there was probably a, a little bit of time before that when you were when you were building the the, the brand and the product yeah. um how would you say your life has changed you know coming from the corporate sector becoming an entrepreneur and what are things that you've noticed are important you know to make sure that you stay because we know being an entrepreneur can be a 24/7 job and you have a family as well so what are things that are helping you stay sane stay grounded uh, throughout this this process but first of all how has your life changed oh it's it's crazy <laughs> so, but it's always been crazy you know i've always i've always loved what i do and all of the jobs i've had i've really love the companies I've worked for. And obviously I love what I'm doing now. So I'm, you know, always thinking about ideas and and ways to improve and always, you know, thinking about the business, but it is really challenging. You know, I won't lie, like having a young family, the last couple of years in particular have been incredibly challenging. You know, when we set out to start Everest, we made the commitment kind of to start the company. We raised a little bit of money to start the company and then COVID hit right mm -hmm. around the same time. Right so in there. Mm -hmm. right in there. And then, you know, launching the, you know, the week that we launched Everest was one of the weeks all the schools closed and my, <laughs> my children were home and I had a week full of interviews lined up with all, you know, all of the big beauty editors. And it's just been a really tricky couple of years with so much change happening. And I've had to be really flexible and lean on, you know, my partner, um, on family and, um, the team and, and Jess and the wider team. And so just really take that support, you know, that you need to make it all work. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the business is important to me. Obviously my family is the most important to me and being there for my kids as they're growing up. So just trying to find as much balance and carve out a little bit of time, you know, for myself or else I will go crazy. You know, you have to find what works for you in your, in your lifestyle. For me, I love to run and listen to podcasts. So mm -hmm. that's why, you know, that's how I clear my head in the morning before the day starts. That's the time that I try to find for myself. I don't do it every day, but I try to do it as much as I can. Um, but, you know, there is never balance. It's just, you know, trying to do, you know, the best you can. And really, I think one of the things you have to be willing to surrender if you want to, you know, kind of go hard in both areas of your life is that that feeling of, you know, having everything under control. There's always yeah, going to be something right. that needs attention. There's always going to be something that's a mess that needs to be cleaned up. And you'll never, you know, if you're a control freak like me, it can be challenging because, you know, the house is a mess or there's a million emails that need to be answered. But, you know, if it's something you're really passionate about, um, I think it's worth it to have to live with a little bit of that chaos for a while. <laughs> um, well, it seems like you're you're doing it with a lot of ease and grace, uh, which uh, which is all to your credit. And my favorite question to ask guests on the show, what's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing you wish women would do less of? Great question. I wish women would be more bold. I think anytime, anytime in my career that I've done something that was terrifying, taken like a big risk, um, it's been so scary. And I think always at first, I've thought for a little while that I made a huge mistake and it's always been what moved things forward. So I think just leaping into that uncomfortable space and committing to, you know, push through it and live with it a little bit is what will really unlock that next level or those new opportunities for you. So I think I personally have a tendency to overthink a lot of things. I know a lot of women do. So yeah, just definitely. living a little bit more boldly and having taking a little bit more risk, I think, you know, mm -hmm. calculated risk, of course, but I think living in that uncomfortable space and pushing a little bit outside your comfort zone can really make a huge difference in terms of, you know, the opportunities that you have. So that's what I would say, start doing in terms of stop doing. Um, 
I think the guilt is really tough. <laughs> I heard that with another one of your podcast guests as well. Yeah, that, that comes up a lot in answers. Yeah. Relate. Exactly. Feeling like, you know, you don't want to let anybody down. You want to keep all the balls in the air and it's hard because you can't, you know, you can't do everything, but um, just kind of accept, exactly accept your own limitations and, and, you know, live, you know, without perfection. I think that doesn't really exist. You just do the best you can. Mm, absolutely. Well, great advice. So we'll link up uh, the, the, all the ways that uh, people can interact with the brand and, and purchase the brand. So thank you so much, Jamie. Congratulations on what you've built. And I look forward to seeing what's next for Everest. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women in Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support Claire Miglionico. Yeah.